It is time once again for the Brian Lehrer TV Club. We are watching the final season of Parks and Recreation together for the fun of it. And because it's the wonkiest, nerdiest, public policy-loving sitcom with Amy Poehler you would ever want to see. Join us in subsequent weeks if you haven't yet. In this final season, one storyline is that Amy Poehler's character, Leslie Nope, now working for the National Park Service in Pawnee, Indiana, is competing with a tech company to acquire some land that the company wants to use for a corporate office park and Leslie wants to use for a national park. I'm looking for anything to strengthen my case that the new Portland should become a park and not a corporate campus. Religious reasons, animal conservation, historical significance, anything. So hold on to your straws, everybody, because Mama's going grasping. And as it turned out in this week's episodes, the best straw she had to grasp at was the fact that President William Henry Harrison had a hunting lodge on that land. We claim William Henry Harrison as a hero because he was the first governor of the Indiana Territories and then president of the United States. We're also a little ashamed of him because he didn't wear a coat at his inauguration, caught a bad cold, and died 32 days later. He's an embarrassing footnote, but he's our embarrassing footnote. I've recently self-published a biography about Harrison entitled Barely a Resident. William Henry Harrison's 32 days in the White House. I discovered that Harrison had a heretofore unknown hunting lodge on the very land you're trying to acquire. So that was Leslie Nope with the character Bill Haggerty from the Pawnee Historical Society at the end there. Maybe the presidential history would get the government to preserve the land and disqualify it from private development. And this gives us the rare opportunity to do two things. Talk about the story with NPR TV critic Linda Holmes. Hi, Linda. Hello. And talk about former president of the United States, William Henry Harrison, with, oh, my goodness, look who published a book about Harrison in 2012, (laughs) New York Times columnist Gail Collins. Hi, Gail. Hello, Brian. You know, we usually find you writing up the funniest things that our highly entertaining Republican Congress does. Why did you write a book about one of our most obscure and underdressed 19th century presidents? Well, uh, the Times has a series uh, you may know about biographies, shortish biographies, about 150 pages each of all the presidents, and they asked me to do one. And um, I had written in a, another book about presidential gossip years before about the fact that Harrison, who was the first marketed president, presidential candidate really, was marketed as this very poor guy who lived in a log cabin. I was telling my parents in Ohio this story, and my father said, ah, yes, that was a great house. I tore it down. And it turned out he did. He worked for the utility company, and he tore down William Henry Harrison's house. It wasn't in Pawnee, Indiana, was it? He was not born in Indiana. William Henry lived in Cincinnati during his presidential years. But um, the people, I have to tell you, that I know in the Indiana William Henry Harrison fan clubs were very excited about this episode. Is it true that he died after one month in office because he didn't wear a coat at his inauguration, which is about anything everybody thinks they know about William Henry Harrison? Well, he definitely did die after a month in office, and he did not wear a coat to his inauguration. But there's actually, amazingly, still ongoing controversy about why he died. And many people now believe 
are blaming the sewage system in Washington oh. that he caught some kind of but he got something he caught something he was very tired from all the handshaking he did go out without his coat on uh, because he wanted to prove he was young and viral he was the oldest president at that time and they they thought he was just you know ancient so he tried to look young and he died didn't die of frostbite though no so uh Linda, why does Parks and Recreation have to die? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you know, it's really funny. Um, the My friend, the critic James Poniewozik at Time pointed out that uh, if William Henry Harrison did not exist, Pawnee would have had to invent him because it's a very Parks and Recreation story. <laughs> right. Uh, this whole he, he wanted to look young, so he died. Uh, is exactly the kind of story that they would tell whether it was true or not. But I don't the, – the show dying, you know, every show comes to a, a natural ending. It sounds to me like they are very at peace with ending the show. All those people are going to go on and do all kinds of fantastic other things. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough road for those of us who are, are big fans of it. You know, when you talk about kind of aging out of it, it reminds me of when Seinfeld decided to end Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld said it was – Things like it was, you know, aging out because it was a show about young singles and no one, no one wanted to see a 50-year-old Kramer sliding into Jerry's apartment. But this show, let's just say based on my careful interpretation of the midterm election results, I don't think the conflict between earnest liberals and anti-government libertarians is going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think if the – I think that if the show were really trying to just tell that story in the abstract, I think that, that – of course, you could go on and have the show forever. And use it as a vehicle for comedy and for relationships. Absolutely, of course. But this show is very dedicated to the specific stories of these characters. And what you don't want to do is put the characters on a treadmill where they aren't able to grow and they aren't able to change because you have to reserve all of your options. And that's something that happens, I think, with a lot of shows that want to go on forever. Mm. You have to be able to commit to these things. People grow and change and, and things are permanent as opposed to temporary. So back to the plot. Mr. Haggerty from the Pawnee Historical Society says... Let's head to the Harrison Museum over in Vincennes. I volunteer there part-time. So, Gail Collins, to the best of your knowledge, is there an actual William Henry Harrison Museum? In fact, is there an actual Vincennes, Indiana? Yes, and there is a museum there, and it, um, they have wow. you know events all the time. And I believe, and I do not trust me completely on this... Brian, but I believe that the great big tin ball that they used in the in the show to demonstrate the excitement of William Henry Harrison supporters throughout the years, who used to really roll these tin balls across the state and country, uh, is going to the, the to the museum in Indiana in Vincennes. Wow, that looked like such an absurd thing. I'm shocked to hear that it's real. Did I hear a wow coming from uh, Linda? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I love this kind of thing. And it really is true that this is a show that, that has a relationship with the real world. And I'm always fascinated by the places where it intersects and, and doesn't intersect. And so this is just my this is kind of my my catnip is this exact kind of conversation about this particular show. And the catnip of people who fall in love with this show, because, Gail, you and Leslie Nope may be the only two living Americans, one real, one fake. I know that who went digging into the details of William Henry Harrison's life in the last few years. Well, I appreciate that the writers got interested in this. And it, it, um, I love the ball. I mean, the idea that now the entire nation knows that people used to run around with these monster tin balls going from town to town just because Leslie told you. I, it, 
It's very cool. So I'm shocked to discover that the ball was real. Also, as they go into the museum, you see a fleeting shot of the sign outside, and it's not called Graceland. It's called Grouseland. Is that real? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's not that dumb a name. It's not that. It was a very <laughs> elaborate, glorious house for the time. You know, there were people moving lumber from, you know, the hundreds of miles away down and putting in real windows, which nobody had back at that time. It was a very fab place for the, its the, moment. We were taking calls earlier from people complaining about things going on on their blocks. That was Grassland. So... <laughs> Here's a scene where the character April, kind of a lost soul, young nihilist, decides she likes this museum. And the historian tells us more about it, and um, Leslie chimes in at the end. William Henry Harrison is totally ridiculous. They can't even fill a small museum with real stuff about his life because he was so lame. The If He'd Worn a Coat Room explores how great America would have been if Harrison had worn a coat at his inauguration and not died. This room is called Other Things That Were Famous for One Month. Oh, and side note, admission to this museum costs $14. And while you're here, why not visit the other famous Harrison's exhibit? Okay, guys, this is so great. During the election campaign of 1840, William Henry Harrison supporters rolled this 10-foot tin and paper ball down country lanes all across America. And, and they would sing along with a jug band, and it was just so exciting. People would come for miles just to see it. Huh. So, Linda, from that scene, I love the shot of them saying, here are other famous Harrisons. And they show little displays of George Harrison and Harrison Ford. Very absurd, but it's in this nerdy place that's, you know, a little more conceptual and surreal than your average sitcom. And I guess that's one of the reasons to love Parks and Rec, right? All these little references. I think that's right. And I think that the tin ball may be real and Grouseland may be real. But my guess is that the other famous Harrisons are, are probably not a real display. Gail, but tell yeah, me it's, it's not a, a real display. And the other, display. other people who are famous, <laughs> my heart. other people who are famous for one month room, that isn't a real thing, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> it's it's that wonderful it is exactly as you say it's that wonderful balance of of having your feet in reality in this strange way and then spinning off into these kind of fantastical things but you know in in a previous life I actually had a job that intersected with local historical societies and it felt it felt true to that it felt true to the fact that they have all this really interesting history that they really struggle to get people to come and visit it it felt very organic in that way in fact when i went back last night and watched this episode a second time to pull clips for the show i saw some of those little things in more detail that i had missed the first time like who the other harrisons were and details of the Grouseland sign. So there's a subtlety of production there, and there's a willingness to make almost inside jokes that not every viewer will get or not get by just watching it once. So, Gail, as the fun-loving policy wonk that you are, have you been a Parks and Rec watcher over the years? I have been, although uh, it was only due to you, Brian, that I was able to see the episode on Tuesday. I was... Uh, the State of the Union <laughs> dragged me off, but uh, I, I think it's, it, it's 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 really smart. The first year that it was on, I think someone called me up, just thrilled, and, and, and said, "Oh my God, your book is on Leslie's." bookcase. It was not William Henry Harrison back then. It was another one. But you could just see all these... Somebody was sitting around figuring out what books to put in her bookcase in a very detailed way. I always had the sense that the 
the writers had a lot of fun with the show. Well, we will continue our Brian Lehrer TV Club next week with more on the comedy of Parks and Rec in its final season and more on the history and policy wonkery it slips in to subversively educate people. Gail Collins, thanks for the Harrison lesson. My pleasure. Uh, I'll be following your columns in the New York Times, but I can't promise to read your William Henry Harrison book. <laughs> and Linda Holmes, NPR TV critic, we will read you at NPR Monkey C, at NPR Monkey C, hear you on the radio, and talk to you next week. Thank you so much. The Brian Lehrer TV Club, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thank you.